Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am here again this week with my co-host, Anna Pinkney Strait. Two weeks in a row. It's wonderful, Paul Scott. Yeah, you usually are off gallivanting around the country, preaching sermons in Wyoming and New York. Uh, I, I don't know. Once in a while, and next week you will have a guest preacher, so you're going to get to hear a different voice, an awesome, wonderful voice. If you uh, are listening to this right after we post it, uh, we just had uh, daylight savings time, or we're or fall going back. We fall back, um, so a little bit darker in the evenings. And uh, I want to say what's going on at the church this week, but you had uh, you had some stuff yesterday. So what what's going on? Yes, well, All Saints Day, which is November first, we usually honor it. When I say celebrate, um, I'm not, it's an honor and we commemorate All Saints Day on a Sunday close to November 1st. And we did that on November 6th yesterday, which our tradition is that's a Sunday when we celebrate communion, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And during our prayer of great thanksgiving, we always list the names and we speak the names of the people in our congregation who have died in the last year, um, which is really moving when you read those names and you pause and we ring a bell and we think about... um, the grief of the last year and the and the amazing lives these people lived. Um, and then we have a time in the prayer when people can speak the names of the people that they are missing. Um, and those are our saints. We, we in the Presbyterian Church, um, we, do, we have a different understanding of saints. It's not someone who has performed miracles um, or is venerated by an official sort of status, but the saints are the people who have come before us. Sometimes we can have living saints that walk alongside us, but people who have led us in faith. So I always think about family members, Sunday school teachers, you know, the saints. Um, there's this great hymn, I sing a song of the saints of God, wonderful and true, and you know, one was a doctor and one was a lawyer and one, you know, was on the sea and, and I want to be a saint too. And, and that's sort of the sense that we're all called to be a part of that community. And that's, uh, yeah, that's different from some religions, right? Like the Catholics, uh, saints is more of a, uh, a bigger thing. You know, over dinner the other night, we, um, were talking about who has more saints days, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the, in the world for world denominations, just like who's got the, mo- I think my uncle was trying to get more days off in his life. And he <laughs> said, which religion, um, can I subscribe to, uh, and have more days off? Probably yes. not the best way to do this. Um, but, uh, anyways, it, it, yeah, Hinduism yeah. and Catholicism, a lot of saints days. Right. And so in Catholicism, you would actually, um, and, and, I am not an expert, so please don't, but my understanding is that you can pray to the saints and they will receive your prayers. In the Presbyterian Church, we believe each individual prays to God, but that doesn't mean we don't thank God for these lives and these witnesses of people who have done amazing things. Um, And so it's a really broad definition and I think pretty lovely. I mean, I, I think it's a good chance to remember where we've been so that we can better understand where we're going. Yeah, and I think for those of us who have lost people through the year and through past years, it is nice to have a moment and uh, to kind of, um, not officially, but just to uh, remember them more as as we do uh, every day when we have those people. Um, It's a solemn kind of thing here, and we did Google it because it does, I think, not just pop culture, it depends on where you're from in the Mm -hmm. world, but it does kind of mix in with the Day of the Dead. So that's why I was asking, before we started recording, uh, I was asking Anna, is this Day of the Dead? Is this All Souls Day? And um, it's different. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely um, Day of the Dead celebrated more, um, 
more in Mexico and is more of a joyful celebration. Mm-hmm. And it, it brought us, um, we started thinking about Coco, the um, yeah. more recent Disney movie that kind of shows that too and kind of um, helps kids understand what that's about. Right. I mean, I think about like Memorial Day, which is in the spring when we remember those who have, who gave their lives in military service. Well, in many parts of our nation, that's Decoration Day. And Decoration Day is the day that families would go and decorate the tombstones in the cemetery, not just veterans, but all, I mean, and and it was, it was, you would have a picnic in the cemetery and it was really a joyful thing. So these practices um, can be solemn they can be joyful. Um, But I love that we sort of have these different takes on something very similar. We're all trying to remember. All right. Well, we uh, hope you have a great week. And uh, do we have Anna again next week? No, Vaughn Purnell. That's when I got Vaughn. He's filling in and he's wonderful. So you're going to, that's going to be delightful. I've never podcasted with Vaughn. I've recorded Vaughn a couple of times. I remember one time he, uh, it was was around COVID times and sort of after COVID and his uh, sermon had to do with like, get back to church and he, <laughs> he pointed at the camera at one time and I think I used that screenshot of him pointing at the camera as the thumbnail in the video and when people saw the thumbnail uh, from the church they were like oh why did he choose that one and then they listened to the <laughs> sermon they were like oh yeah. okay I get it I get it I think he preached the Sunday before I arrived oh man um, we're gonna, he's lovely we're, I, I he's such a good warning we might, we might talk for an hour on the podcast next time so be ready um I I'm, I'm here for it because I really adore Vaughn and he is a good, he is a church member, he is an elder, he is also a colleague, and I really value his insight. Did it, he used to work for the Park Service or something? No, well, ask him. He used to be a Presbyterian minister. Oh my gosh, so, we're going to talk for a whole hour, the Vaughn Show. It's a fascinating, I, I highly recommend, because he has a lot to share, and we are so lucky to have him here. All right, well, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Paul Scott. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we turn to your word, help us to rest in your love. Help us to trust in your proclamation. Help us to be aware of how the Holy Spirit is speaking in this moment to us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, and we are in the 20th chapter, starting with the 27th verse. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong in this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, 
not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes we ask questions that aren't really asking what we say they are asking. Sometimes that's obvious. Like when you're getting ready to go out to supper and you ask your partner, does this outfit work? When I do that 95% of the time, I am not looking for honesty. I'm looking for affirmation. But sometimes the question we're really asking isn't quite so obvious. Back in the 90s, when I was a new seminary graduate, I accepted a call to my first congregation, a small rural congregation in Northern West Virginia. I still had a lot to learn about pastoral ministry, the kind of things that you cannot learn in seminary. And so after I'd been there a few weeks and I heard from the leadership, is there anything we should change? Please let us know. Please let us know if there's anything you think we should change because we want you to go ahead and change it. Is there anything you think we should change, Anna? I took them at their word. I reordered the worship service. I moved things around in the office. I reformatted the bulletin, all of it and more. Because after all, even though I'd heard that you probably shouldn't change things in your first year, they had asked me after all. They had asked me if I could make changes. They'd asked me to do this. It wasn't until years later, years later, when I began to truly understand that experience, they weren't asking me to make changes at all. They weren't really asking me if they needed to change anything. They were asking me to let them know that they were okay, that they'd done a good job holding the church together for the five years when they had not had a pastor. I am continuously grateful for the ways in which that congregation taught me, taught me so much about what it means to serve a congregation, for the ways in which they loved me and loved me through all of the things I didn't know, like what questions they were really asking. The Sadducees are not really asking about resurrection here, nor are they asking about marriage. And there are any number of clues that tell us that. Chief among them is the number. The number seven, seven brothers, seven marriages, is a large number. Not only was it practically large, it is a symbolic number that was meant to indicate a very large number and often an open number. So that is a significant clue that something else is going here. It's also important for us to understand, even though you probably already know this, that the marriage they are talking about in this passage bears almost no resemblance to the marriage that we understand in the 21st century. The marriage they are talking about is about property and birthrights and who will carry on the family name. In this moment, in this rule, which was not universal, for certainly we have many situations that don't fit into this, but the law they are describing considers women to be commodities, not individuals with voice. And if you hear Jesus say something that those in the future, that those who live in God's kingdom will not be given in marriage, 
it is an indication that he's saying that things are going to change, that in God's kingdom, women cease to be a legal commodity, a legal accommodation to the world. There's another clue here in this passage, something we've learned, and it's about faith in the time of Jesus and about the nature of faithful leadership. Another clue that this is not really about resurrection or about marriage is how we understand that the people of the Jewish faith learned, how they deliberated their faith. Arguments weren't to be avoided. Arguments were welcome things as ways to discern the faith. And so when we hear that the Sadducees come to ask Jesus a question, they're trying to engage him in the study of Torah. They're trying to get him to talk more about how he understands the word of God. And so what they're talking about, that they're talking about resurrection or marriage, that is not the central point. The point is the conversation that will ensue and what will be uncovered there. The process of their debate is more important than the conclusion, for it is in the process, the conversation, the trust that is developed, that faith is formed. Here's something else that you might have noticed that I believe is quite significant for us today. They disagreed. The Sadducees that we hear about in this passage were not of one mind. They disagreed. Not only are the Sadducees trying to engage Jesus in a conversation about the Torah, not all of the Sadducees agreed about resurrection. Those who say there is no resurrection, it implies that there are Sadducees who believe that there is a resurrection. In other words, they disagreed, and that was okay. In fact, it was more than okay for the group of people in this faith, seeing things differently, experiencing things differently, sharing and talking and worship and praying together. That was how they grew. And that people saw things differently, believed things differently, was not seen as a detriment. It was not seen as something that disqualified their faith community. And we can resonate with that because in the Presbyterian Church, this too is one of our core values, that we can be people of faith together who don't all see things the same way. We can be a body of Christ that can also disagree about things. And while nobody's safety or humanity should ever be in doubt, we don't have to all see or understand the world in the same way. As those old words proclaim, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Charity, of course, being the old English word for love. And this, friends, is something that our congregation does quite well. We are not of one mind, one heart about everything, but in my belief, not only does this make us increasingly unique among congregations in the 21st century, I believe it also makes us increasingly faithful because we need one another. We need one another to keep showing up, to keep worshiping God, to keep standing on that bedrock of love in order to be a true body of Christ in this world. You see it in many ways. You see it in our worship, you see it in our life, but I think you particularly see it in our food. We joke all the time about how Presbyterians are all about food, that where two or three are gathered, a casserole will be there. 
but I want to commend this congregation for the ways in which you place table fellowship at the center of our life. It is at the center of our life and it is one of the core places where our faith comes together and where we grow because there we build relationships, relationships that help us navigate good times and bad times, joyful times and hard times, navigate times when we don't all see things the same way. Around table, we learn how to talk about these things with love and learn new things about how God is working in our life together. It happens at fellowship dinners, in house churches, at coffee fellowship cafe, the group we call SALT, youth group, lunch wagon, preschool snack time, choir cover dishes. These things aren't just about food. They're about fellowship and they're about conversation. They are places where we can share our hurts and our hopes, our fears and our joys, our lives, and the way God continues to call and to claim us. What do our women do anytime there is a death in our congregation? Not only do meals and food arrive at the homes of those who are grieving, but we have a reception after a funeral service where people can gather around a table and proclaim their faith and remember the one they miss. All of these, all of these things, all of these places where we gather are an outcropping of the table where we will gather in just a moment. God's table, the communion table, a table that isn't just for some people. It isn't just for people who see things one way or people who see things another way. It is for all people. And in the 21st century, in 2022, there are few things that are as important in our life of faith together. As David Nilsson suggested in a blog, pro blog post he wrote several years ago, as an adult Christian, I have often disagreed both culturally and doctrinally with believers with whom I attend church, and yet we've remained in fellowship together. I have learned two important lessons from this that I will carry with me, he says, for the rest of my life as a follower of Jesus. The first is that actually talking things out clears up a lot of misunderstandings. And the second is that it's really hard to feel hateful towards people who just fed you dinner. He says, if I were not privileged to be in these relationships, it would be easy for me to demonize or belittle people who hold theological beliefs more conservative than my own. But when the person who holds some doctrinal position diametrically opposed to my own is sitting across the table from me, eating chicken wings while we watch football, laughing at a joke I just made, it becomes a little harder to start a flame war with him online. We're friends. And so when we find ourselves stuck between parting ways or talking out differences, so far we've been able to choose the latter. And David then offers two things we can do when we find we disagree with someone. And the first is that we talk, we ask questions, we listen. One time he disagreed with his father and he said, first I asked and allowed him to explain himself at the first available opportunity. And then the second thing, I trusted his heart in the meantime because our existing relationship had revealed him to be an all-around good guy. David says, if we use the same pattern with other Christians, we can often save ourselves, and I think maybe even God, a lot of grief. So while I don't know, am not aware, do not believe there are significant disagreements in this congregation, 
The truth is, is that we are hundreds and hundreds of people with different experiences and different outlooks. I do not believe there are significant disagreements, but I also know that I would never want this congregation to insist on agreement. The more any Christian community of faith insists on agreement, the smaller the room becomes. And isn't God about expanding the rooms in our lives as well as our hearts? So yes, we don't all see things the same way. We don't all feel things or experience things in the same way. But far from being a weakness in our fellowship, I believe this is our superpower. We aren't all the same. We don't all have the same experiences, but we are called together, not by a God who wants us to celebrate our successes, but by a God whose grace and mercy we need. And it is exactly our differences that help us learn and grow and deepen in faith and in love. So First Presbyterian Church, what you are doing in this age, in this place, in this time, it is remarkable. You aren't all the same. And thanks be to God for that. And you are committed. You are committed. You keep showing up around the table where all things begin, where we are invited, not because we are smart or wise or right or wrong, but because we are loved by a God whose wisdom exceeds our own, a God who is a God of the living, you and me and all of us. And those Sadducees who do not believe in resurrection gathered to question Jesus. In non-essentials liberty, in essentials, unity, in all things, love. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Friends, let us go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve God. And may the God of hope fill us with such joy and peace in believing that we abound in hope for the power of the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. Amen.